You're listening to the Make Love to Life podcast. So let's make love to life. I'd like to share my birth story with you. I really believe that birth is one of the most powerful initiations a woman can go through. The most transformative. And it's something that, of course, we, we prepare for during, during the pregnancy. And yet there is something that we cannot prepare for, as well as everything that comes after, no? And I'm able to say that now, now that I'm living uh, just over a month with our beautiful daughter, Kailani, Kailani Moon. She was born on the 18th of February, and we had quite a long birth. It was 40 hours in total, um, of which the active part of labor was was less than half of that, No. It was really the, the leading up that, that took a long time, which I'll, I'll explain in a moment. So it was an unmedicated home birth here in Koh Phangan, Thailand. And yeah, I don't really know where to start because the layers of a story like this are endless. And I'm sure that there's going to be layers that I'm, I'm forgetting to mention but honestly, I believe that if I were to tell my birth story to 10 different people, they would all receive, you know, details that I left out in another version because, yeah, it's it's really unbelievable. And I, I honestly believe that there are going to be layers for me to integrate or reflect on in years from now. Um, because it's not just my uh, story, my experience, but also that of my daughter. And so my intention for sharing this is because I believe... A birth story particularly holds such value. Like I, I feel goosebumps right now saying this. <laughs> and I want to capture it. I want to capture it for myself and for my daughter. And I really intend to share it in a very personal manner. Um, because I believe that this is how we plant seeds for our sisters who are walking the path towards motherhood. And um, yeah, <laughs> I wish there was more of this authentic storytelling in general, not just about birth, but I really want to encourage you to do the same with whatever story you carry. So perhaps I can start with the expectations. <laughs> because it's funny, you know, like we, we somehow prepare during birth, uh, sorry, during pregnancy, we prepare with hypnobirthing courses, breathing practices, meditations, perhaps, um, exercise, no, like the general things that are really, really good. And towards the end of the third trimester, I also perceived that there was simply something that I couldn't prepare for, really. And I convinced myself that I wasn't relying on the expectations. But in this moment, I really want to just say that even when we think we don't have expectations, they're there. They might be a little bit hidden. And I think it is good to really explore those uh, before the birth happens. I mean, I can tell you one that I wasn't really aware of uh, until my birth was happening. And it had to do with the expectation that it wouldn't take that long. Initially, I thought, oh, it's just going to be a night. Because that's the way my mother has had her birthing experiences with me, my brother and my sister. Um, as did her mother. And for a woman, it's really good and important to connect with the maternal ancestral lineage, even when you look at things like menstruation, uh, at what age the menstruation starts, 
you know, how long the menstruation is for the duration that it is. Um, and when does menopause start? All of these things are super interconnected with the maternal in, uh, ancestral lineage because we come from that womb lineage. And there was already an egg, which became me, <laughs> as my grandmother was pregnant of my mother. No, So the eggs were forming in the ovaries of my mother as she was in the womb of my grandmother. And so the understanding that even on a physical level, uh, there is a direct connection to your grandmother it's something to, to look into and to take seriously. And if you have the opportunity to talk to your mother and your grandmother about birth and the transition into motherhood, honestly, I believe this to be such a powerful connection, a powerful way of receiving story, inspiration, and also to deepen that connection. Like I can full on say that it's been unexpected for me how instantaneously my connection to my mother and grandmother have grown even throughout pregnancy, you know, like the joy it brought them. Because I'm, even though I'm the youngest, I'm initiating my parents into uh, becoming grandparents or being grandparents, no? Opa and Oma. And um, yeah, so their stories, they're, yeah, they, they, first I want to say they, they birthed naturally. All babies were born naturally through vaginal birth at home. And I think that this is something I'm, I'm first of all proud of, that I do come from a lineage like that. And it's also something that I bet, I guess I, I was brought up with, no? Like, of course, children are going to ask their parents, like, how was I born or whatever, no? Like, it's something that comes up. And at later points in life, we ask more complicated questions. But for me, the understanding that birth is natural has been there from whenever I asked that first question. And I'm very happy that that was my imprint because, I mean, looking at the world and the way that it has developed... Um, I know that many women throughout pregnancy need to reverse the belief that, you know, birth is complicated or difficult or scary or la 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 la. Like, I always knew that the way my, my baby is going to grow, it will fit exactly through my pelvis and through my organs, through my sexual organs. Like, there was no doubt about that. Um, but of course, I had the expectancy that it would only be at night because <laughs> my mother and grandmother had births like that. Uh, the other expectancy perhaps was that it would be easier than it was and perhaps even quicker, quicker than a night. And I say it like that because I had multiple dreams. I had many dreams of birthing um, as I was pregnant and they all revealed a quick and easy birth. Now, that doesn't mean that it's quick and easy and I, I convinced myself that the dream didn't the dreams didn't need to be taken literally however i did i do think it, it influenced me a little bit no but dreams are such an incredible indication of where you are at on a subconscious level and to dream of birthing is something to really take seriously as you're pregnant because it can give hints of something to look out for or to prepare for um, but in my case i mean it, it basically revealed everything is okay <laughs> So what can I say? The days leading up to when I actually entered birth, I had been experiencing a couple of Braxton Hicks contractions. They were very minor, um, but they revealed to me some faint hint of the power of the womb and what could happen. And then the morning that birth actually started was the day before full moon. And 
Yeah, just to give you like a little bit of a back reference, I have been living with my cycle for the past 10 years. So my contraceptive was to measure my temperature and therefore to know exactly when I'm ovulating, as well as checking my juices, no, the juices coming from my yoni, um, to really see like uh, when is the fertile window throughout my cycle. And I'm saying it because I knew exactly the day that I had um, been impregnated no? with our beautiful daughter. Like there was no guessing game. I didn't need to refer back to the last period. I could refer to my ovulation the exact day. And it was the day after a full moon in May. It was the 27th of May. And so throughout my pregnancy, I'd been counting the moon cycles as opposed to the weeks because I didn't quite understand um, this system. Like it didn't resonate for me. And so when the full moon came, I knew, or I don't know how to say this, I was convinced <laughs> that this was the due date and the birthing date. And it is the day that the contraction started. Um, so that day I woke up really emotional, um, unable to really pinpoint how I was feeling. It was a different kind of emotional wave because, of course, pregnant women get crazy sometimes. Um, but this one was a wave of like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm feeling, but it's so freaking overwhelming, like in a confusing way, because I'm usually quite clear about what I feel. And that, I would say, is a good indication that birth is starting. So the one and I came together, we had a beautiful afternoon. We made love and we made love with the intention of allowing the body to open. And so he came inside me and I'm sharing this detail with you because there's something in the relation of semen and the cervix that can actually help induce in a natural way for the birth to come. Uh, so I even read somewhere that the chemical component that they use for induction in the hospital is very much what sperm does. So it's like a equivalent, a chemical equivalent. And um, so, yeah, anyway, we were aware of this and Ruan and I don't always, um, or how do I say this? We make love in a, in a way that is expansive and therefore ejaculation isn't always part of uh, our lovemaking. Uh, but when we do, uh, we use it in a very intentional way. And so we made love very intentionally and we were just super ready and super excited and um, after lovemaking, we were cuddling and I could feel this liquid come from my yoni. And I knew before checking, before touching, that it was blood. And so when I went there, when I looked and it was actually blood, I knew that the mucus plug had been released from the cervix and that basically the cervix was going to start opening and softening. And so we were very excited. And, you know, the contractions initially are gentle. They come and go. They're irregular. And yet they are already intensifying. So by the time it was evening, um, you know, we'd eaten something. I had danced a little bit in the, in the living room. But then we went back to bed and really breathed together and enjoyed as every wave came up. And like I said, I had the expectancy that it would be a night and I was convinced it would happen on the full moon. But it didn't. Halfway through the night, I was like, Ruan, please go sleep because I need you to be energized. And me, I couldn't sleep. And this is also something that I want to share because, you know, they do very much advise that in this initial stage of birth, when it's irregular and it's kind of leading up to the active state of, stage of birth, 
They advise to distract yourself, to rest, to sleep, to eat, to whatever, go shopping, have a coffee with your girlfriend, whatever, watch a movie. But I honestly, I, I, I couldn't. I, I don't know if this is because I'm super sensitive. I mean, I do, I've had major sleeping issues in my life, which are very much improving in the last couple of years. And especially this year, actually. But anyway, it takes me a long time to fall asleep. And if there's contractions happening, no matter how minor, I, I can't fall asleep, no? And this is something that worked against me. I don't know how I could have done this differently, but this is just what happened for me. And it did lead up to the birth being extremely long and me not having slept throughout that entire period of time. I may have caught an hour that night when the contractions subsided for a bit, giving me a little bit of rest, um, but then they kind of continued. Anyway, the next day was kind of similar, no? Where, uh, or the next morning and afternoon, where we try to, I don't know, watch a movie or whatever. But yeah, I guess for the first birth, it's also like whatever we perceive as intense initially is nothing compared to what the intensity can reach up to. So for me, the experience was very, yeah, it was intensifying. And um, already demanding me to really use the hypnobirthing techniques I had learned, uh, the breathing technique, the relaxation, the music, the moving around, the finding the right position, etc., etc. Um, and yeah, it was a really beautiful, beautiful afternoon leading into beautiful evening. And this is the moment where our birthing team arrived. So I had one midwife from Russia and a doula also from Russia. And um yeah so the doula helped translate whatever the midwife needed to communicate but there wasn't that much communication when they arrived everything was already starting to intensify and i felt quite affected no by their presence and so i asked uh for Ruan and i to return to our bedroom and just have that private space for us uh for me to just start opening up and becoming more comfortable with their presence and I think that this is something really to appreciate no? within yourself. Honor your sensitivity and honor your wishes and your needs. Uh, whatever message you receive is the most important. And I was very much respected. no? And I knew that I would open up to them. I, I, I had that sense when they arrived. Um, I just also needed to comfort my own being. And when the body is opening like that, because it's no joke for the cervix to open... It's not just a physical opening, it's an energetic opening. You become a portal. It's a spiritual opening, it's an emotional opening. I mean, everything is opening in your being. And to feel safe and comfortable with whoever is there, even if you need to be alone for a little bit, honestly, then that's the way you need to go. So before they let us go back into the bedroom, the midwife did a vaginal exam, a cervical examination, to see how far the dilation was. So this midwife is quite old school, no? Like she doesn't use complicated instruments. She will use her fingers. Um, and also, you know, in the pregnancy, whenever she was connecting with the position of the body, she did everything with her hands. And I really appreciate that, no? And nothing, nothing can be done to you during birth without your consent. And for a moment, I was doubting whether I wanted this because the cervix is a very sensitive organ. It's, I would say it has its own consciousness. And when it is touched in a way that's how you say, hypothetically, if you allow someone in 
and you actually don't want that, the, the cervix can shrink back because it may feel threatened. No, like it can activate the, the sympathetic nervous system of like fight and flight. And that is the protection mechanism that the body carries from an instinctual level. Whereas if we remain open and relaxed with the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, then it is totally fine not to allow someone in. But I let her in because I was very, very curious. I was curious about the work that Ruan and I had been doing because we'd created such a beautiful romantic space before they arrived, really breathing together. There was so much laughter and caressing and sensuality and yeah, just moving together, no, like, ah, and, and proud of, of us finally becoming parents and just feeling the great, great love between us and for our daughter, no, and for this experience, just absolute excitement. So I was curious, like what we had achieved basically. And so she went in and yes, I had almost dilated completely, which was super surprising for me because we, we were on the edge of entering active labor, but we weren't there yet. Which basically meant that, yeah, we, yeah, it had opened quite fast, basically. So, however, <laughs> the position of the baby wasn't ideal. She was somehow leaning on my pubic bone, so she was too much forward. Aside of that, the sack of water hadn't erupted yet, and I was carrying excess water. So there was almost like a, I don't know how to say this in English, but like a bulge of, of water sinking down through the cervix but not the head of the baby and this was preventing the baby from easily shifting into position and through the contractions i had probably started to tense up specifically in the hip region in the pelvic region so it was starting to lock up she said my hips were locked funny enough i didn't really quite receive that message in that moment the only thing i did receive was that she was too much forward and I had to move her into position. And I say it like that because, you know, the, the, the more the contractions intensify, the more oxytocin is released if you're able to stay relaxed and the more endorphins. And so gradually the woman is going to start to feel drugged and certain things regarding information that is being shared, it will either catch you or it won't. Whatever catches you is what you need to receive in that moment. Whatever you miss, you know, who knows why you missed it in that moment. So for me, my experience was a little bit dreamy already. And I didn't quite grasp that my hips locking was as serious as it was. No, because the hips had to open in order for the baby to de descend. So anyway, we had decided that Ruan and I would be in the bedroom dancing together and they would wait for us in the living room. I didn't realize that Ruan and I had been in our bedroom for hours, <laughs> but we were. So Ruan and I were dancing, we were shaking the hips, we were, there was a moment where he pressed me against him and, you know, really, how do I say, vigorously moved my body with him. However, whenever the contraction would come and they were seriously starting to intensify, I would want to either lean against the wall or lean against the bed, or sit on the birthing chair, or on the Pilates ball, to kind of ease the contraction that was coming. However, Ruan wanted me to keep moving through the contractions, so eventually I was able to stand shaking as the contractions were happening, and I definitely felt the power of release and relaxation whilst this huge wave of sensation was coming. 
And, you know, there were some really profound moments in the time that Ruan and I shared together, um, also through his guidance very much, uh, because, you know, to receive support and to lean into him and to fully surrender is something that um, I've been practicing and working on <laughs> and opening up to, let's say, in the last decade, like since I, you know, started working with plant medicine and tantra and being more aware of, yeah, what a challenge that has been for me in the past. Or I don't even know if I want to say challenge, but definitely something that has continued to guide and teach me throughout my life and probably will continue to teach and guide me throughout my life. And this is really the core power of the feminine, right? To be in such trust that you can open and lean back and be guided and let go completely. And I mean, the greatest quantum leaps in the evolution of my ability to let go, I have achieved in the duration of our relationship. So since the end of 2021, no? Like in this relationship, I have seen infinite petals of the flower open up and reveal to me a world basically of the deep, deep feminine that I previously couldn't even touch. I couldn't even tap into, no? And so even though that's the case, and even though it has been a, a major focal point of, of my growth as a woman during birth, this is definitely something that came up again. And I want to say it like that because I believe that this is a point uh, that is very sensitive in many women. Um, and maybe even especially the very independent, supposedly strong women, um, because it's the softness within a woman that is truly her feminine strength, which we don't always get to practice in a very safe way, generally, you know, like through daily life or through the way that the world culture has been organized. And so anyway, this came up and we had some really profound moments in, you know, through the pain, allowing that awakening to happen of opening and trusting and releasing and relaxing and letting go and allowing him to fully be there and guide me. And yeah, I got goosebumps now just feeling into those moments because they were, I, I could, I could feel that they had an impact on a deeper level of consciousness, that it, that it set a mark in me, even though I've had a million little examples throughout life and especially throughout our relationship. If you manage to sink deeper during birth, I would say it's it's a it's an evolution that is locked into your being forever. <sighs> so bueno, we had beautiful, heightened, very spiritual experience together. Like it was also a time that I was praying, talking out loud, especially to our ancestors, not just mine, but also his. Um, you know, because they're the ancestors of our baby and really praying to the angels and spirit guides of our daughter, of us, and praying out loud, no, for, yeah, for this journey to continue with ease and for the baby to position herself um, in the optimal way for us to continue birth. However, when I got another cervical examination, it turned out that the baby hadn't moved. And Oh yeah, I, I just want to share this detail because the cervical examination, I had no idea that this was going to be super uncomfortable. And I do want to make a point about it because I've read the book of Ina May Gaskin, who is the master of midwifery. I definitely recommend the book Spiritual Midwifery. Um, 
This was not mentioned, um, exactly the procedure of a cervical examination. And in the birth stories I read or heard about, I, I never really came across these details, no, which I think are really valuable. I didn't know it was going to be uncomfortable. I'd read that women had uh, terrible experiences in hospitals, but for me, that's just, um, you know, logical because it's a very uncomfortable environment most of the time. And they use cold instruments or instruments in general, no, which are foreign to the body. But I figured if you, if they do it with the hands, with the fingers in a gentle way, then probably it's not going to be that uh, terrible, but it really was. <laughs> There's no other way of describing it. Because she would have to go inside as I was having a contract contraction, because that's the way that they can properly measure. So anyway, these examinations were very uncomfortable. I think I had about three and it was necessary in my case because she needed to know what's up with the baby. No. So bueno, we got the message that things hadn't shifted. And this was the most difficult moment for me in birth, because before that I felt spiritually connected. Like I said, I felt extreme love bubble, like super sensual space with Ruan. And of course, they were there, not just for my comfort, but they were there also very much to uh, be more with their feet planted on earth and guiding the birth in that way. You know, like I was shifting very much into altered states of consciousness. Like my eyes were rolling back. Like I said, I was half receiving information, half not. And this is the point where I realized that my hips were seriously locked. Like after birth, when we reflected on it, Ruan, it was so funny. Ruan kind of imitated how I was walking <laughs> with my locked hips. And it really was like I was a tree trunk. Like there was no, <laughs> there was no joints connecting my upper body from my legs. No, it was just like one, <laughs> one big chunk of body moving uh, forward. Uh, so they were seriously locked. No, and it was really important to open it. Otherwise, I mean, I would have ended up in the hospital probably. Um, so I want to mention, I'm super grateful that I had such a old school midwife who knows of these techniques, no, cause she made me vigorously move and shake my body in ways that were 10 times stronger than whatever Ruan and I were doing. And, you know, with Ruan, we could have gone further because it's what he wanted, but I was in resistance at that point. And I want to be honest about that because for me, there was something in that resistance and perhaps to explore the resistance and to understand upon reflection afterwards what that resistance was about that actually was really valuable for me. Unfortunately, it did cost us several hours and also hours of energy on my behalf. But it is the way that it unfolded and so I have to fully trust that this is the way it had to be. Um, I was definitely in resistance to the pain. I really was because it's massive, the power, the power that moves through the body on its own accord. It's like, it's just happening. And the principle of that power is the less you do, the more is happening. Because it's like your body knows how to birth. So the less you get in the way, the easier it will be. And that's easier said than done. Um, and it is where I was moving towards. The funny thing is, I knew I was in resistance. Um, Ruan and I even had a conversation about it. And he asked me, so by letting go of this resistance, what are you letting go of? And I was really clear in that moment. I shared, and 
Perhaps I will reflect on this in the next episode, which is going to be about my postpartum integration, which was really, really intense. Um, and in that integration, I went deeper into ancestral healing. But in that moment, my hips were locked. I had to pray and let go of the tension and really release and trust in the process. The prayer that I shared about what it is that I wanted to let go of was directly connected to my mother and grandmother. And I could fully connect to something that I have been carrying in my being, in my body, in my life that has remained as a shadow up until that point. So I have been on the spiritual path since my late teens. I started working with plant medicine, specifically ayahuasca, since 2010. I did trainings on ayahuasca. I went freaking deep uh, with the shamanic work, also the shamanic tradition of the Andes, um, the tantric work, you name it. And yet, even though I tapped into God knows how many layers of the feminine and God knows how many layers of ancestral healing, it was not possible for me to tap into this one until the moment came that I stepped into motherhood myself. And it's really powerful how life works in that way. It's like, yeah, I, I, I am in awe <laughs> of the intelligence of the multidimensional beings we are when we really learn to listen and see the symbology because nothing happens randomly in life, and especially during birth, nothing is random. So what I encountered in the locking of my hips, uh, because the bones really represent the ancestry, whatever is happening in the bones, no? Because if it had depended on my sexual organs, like my cervix, my yoni, we would have had a really quick and easy birth. But I needed to encounter this resistance, and I needed to feel that pain in my hips, and I needed to unlock it, to unlock something, and set something free, not just for me, but for those who walk before me, and very much for my daughter, um, who will continue this lineage. And so, yeah, this is what I wanted to let go of. And let me just get back to the moment that was the hardest for me. Um, sorry if I if I lose track of what I was saying. There's so much happening at the same time, and I'm trying to like kind of reflect and put the puzzle pieces together. And I kind of slipped into a different direction because I felt that that was important to share. But let me just get back to the hardest moment of the birth because I think that that's really valuable for you to know how I approached that and what I did. It was the hardest because I felt a disconnect for a moment with Ruan. And overall, it was almost like I could read disappointment in him, in the doula, in the midwife, um, which wasn't the case when we reflected after the birth, but it is what I perceived and again, this was very symbolic for what I had to learn or what I had to integrate. But what happened in that moment was them needing to be the force with the feet on the ground, looking at the birth in a serious, rational way, saying, okay, um, for this birth to proceed, the hips have to open. We're going to try again with movement. But if that doesn't work, we're going to have to really look at how to save lives, basically. You know? And that's what a birthing team is for. Um, me, on the other hand, I had no idea that things were that serious and I had no doubt that I would birth naturally. There was no single second or split of a second throughout the entire 40-hour journey of birthing that I ever doubted whether my baby would come through my body naturally or not. I never, ever doubted that. And that's a really beautiful, powerful point for me to reflect on. 
because I knew it was a long journey, but I also knew that I had to, I wanted to take my time and I had to take my time to, to catch certain points of significance for my integration and growth as a woman and the things that have added to who I am becoming as a mother. So it wasn't just that I perceived them as being disappointed or upset. It, 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 it had a lot to do with the way that the midwife communicated. So whenever there was a moment of uh, cervical examination, she obviously had to share some information and the doula would translate. And each of these occasions, it seemed like she was upset, like her facial expression was down. Uh, the words were coming out of her mouth in a very harsh way. She would use long sentences, all in Russian. And of course, there's a huge cultural aspect to that, which, you know, in daily life, I would, I would, I would obviously perceive it as it is. However, in birth, you know, feeling drugged on my hormones and entering these states of, uh, altered states of consciousness, I, I perceived her as being upset, being disappointed and not being happy. And <laughs> like, it really freaking affected me. Like, I'm still super happy that she was the one guiding my birth. And I don't want to beat around the bush pretending that she didn't trigger me because she majorly triggered me. And actually, this was a huge point for me in my integration of birth, um, the way she had affected me. And again, I want to be honest, she needed to be there in that way for me to get triggered in that way, for me to catch the symbolism of what that means to my life, yeah, to my life, to my personality and the things that I'm ready to let go of. And it has been super confronting. So anyway, it's not that they lacked trust. They actually had huge trust in me, but they also had to be serious in certain moments and had to push me into allowing the birth to proceed. And the only way we could proceed was to come together as a team and for them to help me shake my hips. So imagine I'm leaning against a, a table and they have their one at a time, no? So one moment it was the doula, the other moment it was the midwife, the other moment it was Ruan. And they would have their hands on my hips, pressing the bones against each other, because that really helps as a counter pressure for the contractions, whilst simultaneously moving them vigorously from side to side in vigors of eight, from front to back, um, whatever you can imagine, shaking front to back, up and down, you know, like that vigorously, for the duration of the contractions. And it was super, super hard to allow that to move through the pain. And at the same time, it was the only way out. And I knew it was. I knew it was the only way that my little baby would move down and for us to proceed and progress in the birth. And so the thing that, that got me through was my inner voice saying, I can do this. I have the stamina. I have the power in my body. Um, we are in this together. And as soon as this started to pick up, because this is really when I entered deep, deep, deep states of trance, because it was so repetitive. I was leaning against, they were shaking with me. Um, I had a moment of rest in which I would stand under the fan um, because I was getting super hot. No, I mean, this is Thailand. I was in my underwear, but I was already getting really hot. And it was this like, you know, the rest period in which I was receiving increasing amounts of oxytocin and endorphins, getting more and more high, basically. And then during the contractions, being completely present, 
moving with them, doing my utmost best to be present and moving with my breath as well as sound. Uh, I do want to make a, a point about sound because sound has been my major guide throughout this entire journey, more so than breath, I would say. I mean, in a way, it is breath that carries the sound, but the sound would really allow me to connect more deeply with the places inside my body that were asking for my attention um, or the places from which the contraction was originating or it allowed me to go deeper into the core of um, my hip sockets, basically. So as this trance was continuing, I really, really started to melt and really, really started to just be filled up overflowing like a fountain with gratitude um, gratitude for my team and i think that this is one of the key jewels that i needed to receive um, to allow that that team and that support to come because honestly in a very humble way i can say i wouldn't have been able to do this without them like i needed their strength i needed their stamina as as much as i needed to be willing to open up like that in receiving and in moving through the pain myself and relying on my own physical strength. I needed to rely on theirs. And the the heart expansion I felt, even though it was... I have no words to describe those that experience, no? Because it was hours and hours and hours of going through excruciating pain followed by the most intense bliss. And I say it like that because, you know, for me it was very important to allow the darkness to be part of the way that I journeyed and allowed my baby to be born. Um, you know, there's, there's books and experiences and other stories in which the woman is able to remain calm, have a very blissful, pain-free birth. This is definitely possible. In my case, I had to go through the body. And I say it like that because... Um, as I mentioned before, when Ruwan and I were in the bedroom, uh, there was a lot of prayer. There was very much this strong connection to spirit, which is something that comes to me very naturally, you know, like I'm way more connected to the invisible realm, to energies, to sensing, to knowing what is there without being able to see it or touch it. And that has always been present in my life. But my journey has been about grounding, coming home on earth, being in my body, being more connected to my body. And even though I've achieved a lot in this life, birth really forced me to take it more seriously and to see the power that the body carries on a very primal level, which goes through pain, through the darkness, through the activation of everything that is happening in birth. Like we birth through the darkness into the light, right? And that combination of the ecstatic bliss followed by agonizing pain is what ultimately put me in trance. So I'm just sharing from my perspective. Like, I don't want to, again, beat around the bush. Like, the pain is pain. Um, I know that in some of these birthing courses, they ask if words like contraction or pain need to be changed in order to have a, a better experience during birth. For me, it's not necessarily about changing the words, but rather changing the relationship that you have to them. So how can you change the relationship to that amount of pain? Because I was in resistance to it beforehand. And I also knew that there, the only way out was through. I had to go through it, through my body, through the darkness, through the pain, and to really encounter a power in that. 
and I'm not afraid of the darkness, like, especially when it comes to dark emotions, dark experiences. I've had multiple uh, very dark uh, periods in my life. And yet this experience of birth revealed a whole new world of power that can be connected to in ourselves. So when, even though this was super intense, no, those hours of shaking and moving together, etc., I suppose going back to like the expectations, I did have the expectation that I would be able to move through a longer birth if that is what needed to happen. So in some very faint way, I did obviously connect to the potentiality of that because I have many sisters who needed to birth for three days. No, like it's not uncommon. And, you know, in, in, in a journey like that, you very much have to rely on the strength that the body carries. Also the mind, but also the body. And part of my preparation during pregnancy was very much leaning on the strength of my body. So physical exercise was very important for me. I took one course, and I'm happy to put the links in the description of this episode. I took one course that is more fitness-based, that assists the woman throughout the three stages of pregnancy to work on strengthening particular muscles, initially to carry the baby well in the right alignment, as well as be strong enough to go through birth. Because the whole body needs to work together, no? And, and the legs need to carry quite a lot of weight um, throughout this. So aside of doing certain strengthening exercises, I also very much focused on running. And running, for the longest time, has been one of my favorite sports. It's, it's the thing that really puts me in a meditative state. The thing that allows me to clear my mind, be alone... Um, especially when I encounter a path that goes through nature where I don't encounter a single person. It's, oh, it brings me so much joy. Um, so, bueno, I continued running up until seven and a half months pregnancy. So, obviously, seven and a half months is quite far into the pregnancy, but I know of women who can run up until the birthday. Um, I think this all depends on on really the pelvic floor because it's the pelvic floor that receives the impact and the moment we feel discomfort there, I would say we have to stop. And that's exactly what happened for me. Uh, even towards the end, we were going to um, like ecstatic dance type of dance events here. Um, and again, I had to stop dancing because of the weight that I felt on the pubic bone and the pelvic floor. Um, and so to really honor that, no, because the pelvic floor carries a lot and the pelvic floor goes through a lot during birth. And so to be sensitively aware. So anyway, the running obviously helped my lungs to be strong as well. So I felt physically strong as a preparation for birth. I felt my lungs, my stamina to breathe, to continue. And that really provided a, a level of confidence when entering the birth, as did my history of having done very profound, deep work with plant medicine, as well as tantric worth. No, it's like the, the tantra background provided me the connection that I have to my sexual organs or my capacity to feel and to open and expand. Um, yeah, so I, I never had a doubt regarding my sexual organs, um, you know, if they would be able to, to open up in that way. Like I knew um, I have such a loving connection uh, with this part of my body. Like it has guided me through so many parts of my life that there was no doubt there. 
And then, of course, the deep work I've done with uh, plant medicine provided me an understanding that I understand how to navigate uh, darkness as well as light, as well as very, very, very long, difficult ceremonies, <laughs> which birth is the ultimate very, very long, dark ceremony. <laughs> it's a very light and dark ceremony. No, it's it's both. It really is the primal and the spiritual making love as I like to see it. And so I just want to say that, you know, it, it required a lot of me to be shaking like that. Yeah, to move my hips like that. And basically to be dancing from the very start of when birth began. Because like I shared, even when we had minor contractions, I was dancing because I wanted to connect in the most loving way I know to my baby and my body to say, yes, we're going to do this. So I'd been dancing even when I should have been saving my energy. And then with Ruan, I was dancing. And then as a team, we were dancing. And there was such an irony in this dancing aspect of my birth because throughout the pregnancy, we had called our daughter, we had nicknamed her Tiny Dancer because of her dance move. Like she had such wild dance moves in the womb that I started calling her Tiny Dancer. And it's so ironic that I had to dance her out of my body. And it was really, really the most powerful experience I've ever had. I mean, the altered state of consciousness that a woman gets to experience is beyond. Like the fact that it was more than four hours and I had no recollection of time or being able to even perceive a minute being a minute. Like it went by really fast and at the same time it, it felt like time was standing still. And so then we went into transition. There is a transition between active labor and the pushing stage. And in this transition, the neocortex of the brain switches on. So some women may experience um, wanting to give up or things like that. No, because suddenly the mind is clear, the mind is active, and it comes up with bullshit, basically. Uh, for me, it wasn't necessarily that way, although it did take me a while to find the right position to push. Um, so the midwife had suggested to take some rest, which honestly, I don't know how this would have ever been possible for me. Like I became so uncomfortable and I was really crying, no, because I wanted to rest. I felt I needed to rest. I'd been up for such a long time. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I mean, I was drinking a lot, but they, they tried to feed me like the nut and cacao uh, sweets that I had created, like with tahini, they were super nutritious and super energy rich, but my mouth was so dry. I mean, it, it just really felt like I was drugged. Probably the hormones, um, it, it all just gives you that, you know, eyes rolling back, dry mouth, <laughs> ecstasy type of feeling. Um, but I was also sweating a lot, even though I was drinking a lot of coconut water and tea and this and that. I was just so dry and dehydrated and just fatigued and my legs were shaking and yet I still had to push. So the midwife wanted me to rest because she felt like I needed the power and yet I couldn't. So in the end I went to the doula who I haven't really mentioned in this episode but she has been an angel throughout it all. She carries such a warm, warm energy of love and she she knows how to say the right words in the right moment. And her presence was just so key in my entire journey. So when it became clear that I couldn't catch my rest, we all came back together and started to prepare the space for the pushing stage. 
Um, initially, I moved around quite a bit because everything was just so uncomfortable. I tried to be on my side. Um, I tried to be on all fours, but I started to lose circulation in my in my feet. No, <laughs> and it is a position that it's best if you don't move from it. No, to just allow the process to to occur in the best way possible. So finally, I, I ended up on the birthing chair, which is basically a chair with a big hole. Um, and behind me was sitting Ruan. So I was leaning against him. We were breathing together. And the midwife was right in front of me and the doula on the side. And Ruan and the doula both helped with the counter pressure. She was press pressing my knees and he was pressing my hips. And so the beauty of the pushing stage is that there will be a natural urge coming from the body. And this is such a, wow, amazing feeling. Like it's a feeling of relief almost. Um, that all I have to do is just carry, be carried in that wave, basically. The wave of the pushing that the body naturally will do. And of course, there's still a, um, an active component of the woman. So I was breathing through a straw because the breathing that happens in the stage of birthing has to be very directed, no? Like, it's almost like you visualize the breathing coming from the solar plexus going downward, no? And there's a huge engaging of the abdominals. And it was interesting because in the transition phase, the midwife was checking how much power I had left, no? Because, I mean, you definitely need power all the way until the end. And uh, she was convinced that how I was pressing wasn't strong enough, no? Like the engagement of my abdominals. And whilst we started to push, I could really feel that this was where the mother had to step in. Uh, like to go beyond exhaustion, to go beyond physical pain, to go beyond... Not that I hadn't done that throughout the entire journey, of course I had. But throughout the entire journey, there was still more of a component of me, if that makes sense. It was like my body, my experience. Whereas it towards the end, it was more about... I do this for my for my baby. I do this for my daughter. Um, I will get through this. I will make sure this happens for her because she deserves to be born in the most natural way. And so I believe that this is where the, the power really came from. And at the same time, I also want to be honest, this is the part of the journey that was the most enjoyable for me. <laughs> I remember even saying to Ruan, this is fun. <laughs> like, I yeah. I felt, yeah, I don't know how to describe it because there's still discomfort, but it was fun. And maybe because the end was really in sight. And so, yeah, uh, the midwife guided us really beautifully. Um, I obviously shared whenever the, the urge to push was there. I shared when the contraction was happening, um, but she was the one really gently guiding the process of how much to push. No, because I think that this is some part of the process that is very specific and if you do it too fast um, the flesh might tear no i think that this happens um, to women who want to go too fast and so she applied a lot of oil on my genitals and she was also like folding the skin open to assist for the the birth to happen in the most perfect way and in the end i only had like minor minor tearing in my inner labia um, which I feel super proud of. Like it was so minor that it, I didn't need stitches or anything and it healed by itself within a week. 
And this is something that I'm super proud of. So I do want to share this like openly and publicly. I feel so proud of my cervix and my yoni and my sexual organs and the capacity to birth. And I feel proud of my baby who shifted into place because she wanted to become, uh, because she wanted to be birthed in this way. And I'm proud of my ancestors. I'm proud of our birthing team. I'm proud of how I found the power in, in various ways to continue. Um, yeah, the doula even reflected, no, that she'd never been part of such a difficult and physical birth. I mean, I was surprised she called it difficult, but I can, I can imagine that from the outside, not to say that I didn't find it difficult, but I wouldn't necessarily call it, I don't know if I would use that word. Anyway, she was, she was astonished by my stamina to continue, by my perseverance, by my physical strength, you know, especially regarding the fact that I hadn't slept and I barely had eaten. Um, yeah, she was amazed. And she told me that in another birth that she had assisted where the same thing happened and the hips had locked and they had to shake it open, they unfortunately did end up in the hospital. And so looking at this birth in retrospect, I can see that it really was the only way. And those are the key moments when you know that something depends, like there's one thing on which the natural birth of your baby depends. This is when your inner voice has to be strong. Like I was almost shouting to myself from inside, no? To override the voice that perhaps was like, oh no, this is too much or this is, because it, it really is a lot. The power that we get to experience, both that dark primal force and the spiritual force coming to, it's like, oh, you know, I could speak for hours about this and still I wouldn't capture really the essence of an experience such as a birth because the layers, it's like you're, you're, you're connecting to every single layer of your existence, the earthly, the spiritual, the emotional, the physical, you know, who you are at large, the universe at large, um, as well as, you know, the, the most humble, sincere human part of who we are. So yeah, on the birthing chair, for me, it was a really gradual, long process. I thought this part was ours, but it was probably because the, the shaking and the active part, uh, the part in which I was in trance, that seemed short to me. And then this part really seemed long. But when I looked at the birthing video, because fortunately we, we videotaped the, the final part of the birth and we captured some other parts of the birth, but not everything. Um, I'm very happy with the, the video of the pushing part because it's like, oh my God, you know, as a woman to see what your yoni is capable of, to expand and stretch in that way. And then afterwards to, to come back together in its original form. It's freaking amazing. It's the most extraordinary thing a woman can go through to birth naturally and to see our divine capacity. And it's so strange that this is such an extraordinary experience when it is the most ordinary to reproduce, no? So, <laughs> so okay, this gradual process, and then there's the ring of fire when the head is actually going through the ring, like the opening of the vagina. Very uncomfortable, but it doesn't last that long. And then finally she came out. And when the head came, the entire body leaped out immediately, no? So it was like, like... She was ready. Um, her umbilical cord was around her neck, but it was no, no issue. And my 
um, my waters were clear, like everything was just really, really perfect. And then she was brought to my chest. And honestly, I have no other ways of describing it that complete overwhelm. It wasn't the like ecstatic love explosion that I anticipated. I think it was everything at the same time. It was love. It was exhaustion. It was completely just like being out of my body as well, like being out of it. Like, I, I don't know how to describe that moment because it wasn't as romantic as I thought it would be. I, I just want to be really honest and vulnerable in this moment by admitting that. Because again, I think we have an expectation that this is how it needs to be. And I mean, everyone had run several marathons, no? not just myself, um, but also our baby. I mean, our baby was working with us and our team was working with us. And so, yeah, it was a very surreal moment to lay there with my baby on my chest, almost in disbelief that this is actually what had happened. And another thing that was really very strange, which, again, I've never really read about or heard in other birth stories, is that your organs fall back into place. Or they don't fall back into place, they fall. <laughs> It's like, uh, it's quite nauseating. So how to imagine this, this experience is basically like, yeah, your belly expanded and the flesh is not just going to contract um, immediately. And so the space that your organs have to move around is a lot bigger than it ever used to be. And that's a very, very strange experience. Also, I, I kind of remained on the couch in the living room because... Standing up, I was, yeah, I was, I was very dizzy, but also the realignment that has to occur in the skeleton, no? Like our balance as pregnant women has shifted to be able to carry such a weight. And when that suddenly is gone, it's very strange. <laughs> I know I keep using the same words to the, to describe it, but it was just overwhelming, strange, and very, very surreal. And so anyway, I waited for everyone to kind of clean up and come together. And then Ruan and I did a burning ritual of burning the umbilical cord. Once the placenta had been birthed, we waited for the pulsation to end. And there's many ways of, of honoring uh, the power of the placenta. And, you know, in some traditions they would bury it. Um, nowadays people like to do a lotus birth, which means you allow the placenta to fall off on its own accord, which sometimes happens after a week. And in my case, I had always dreamt of consuming the placenta as the animals, the mammals do in the wild. Um, because the placenta holds not only the energy of everything you experience during pregnancy, but it, it is the source of nourishment of, of a lot of minerals and vitamins and hormones. Because it's not to be underestimated what happens to the body after birth and the extreme drop in hormones, which is something that I will go into in the next episode. Because for me, this was extremely difficult, extremely intense. And so the fact that I had chosen to encapsulate my placenta, so basically what they do is they dehydrate the placenta and then encapsulate it. And then you would take it throughout the, the 40 days postpartum to allow the transition in back into your body to be assisted. No? Almost like your own body is assisting it. It's very fascinating. 
but yeah, we did a burning ritual. Like I, I love fire. I love, I love the fact that um, this is possible and not just to cut the cord, but to allow the slow process of fire to assist and really to um, release, no? Like release the best friend. Like that's how I saw the placenta. It had been the best friend of, of Kelani. And to slowly separate them felt really natural. And to use a natural force like fire felt the way to do it. So we shared a very simple prayer. And we both held one end of the umbilical cord. And we allowed for the burning to separate the cord. And then the doula took the placenta for preparation. And then we were left with this precious, beautiful, beautiful angel. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, she's on my chest right now. And there's there's no words to describe the love and the connection and the nourishment that naturally comes from our being when we have carried another human being and when we have birthed another human being. And it's just indescribable. And I want to be honest that my journey into arriving where I am now was quite the integration, unexpectedly so. And like I said, I will share with you in the next episode more about those, yeah, again, darkness and light and how the intensities, like I almost described it as, not almost, uh, I described it in a online post as the contractions of birth. That the contractions just continued in a very emotional and spiritual way after birth. Like the, the agony and the bliss weaving into each other to allow the integration to happen in the best way possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, this, this journey obviously continues. But now that the 40 days have been finalized, I can reflect back and really see why this period needs to be honored. And I also want to share certain things that I don't feel are shared enough about the difficulty of that integration. Um, because again, we're touched on every single level as a woman. Like the identity death and the birthing of the new is not to be underestimated. So, bueno. I feel super proud. Um, I feel... Yeah, I, I feel incredible. This is such an intimate, um, has been such an intimate dream of mine to enter this phase of life. And I always knew that when entering this phase of life, of motherhood, of starting my own family, it would represent almost like a new book. Like I like the analogy of having a trilogy as being my life. And the first book of the trilogy is everything I did as an independent free soul roaming around the globe, picking up pieces to understand my purpose and to understand an aspect of my essence. And for then to shift into the next book of the trilogy, in which that essence gets to expand in ways that are only possible when becoming a mother, when becoming a family, when, you know, being in devotion to who we are together as we, as us. And then the final book, I don't know yet what it is going to reveal but for now I just want to be present with everything that is unfolding as the first chapters are being written in this book so I hope you enjoyed this story 
I hope it planted some seeds in your being. I hope it inspired you. And I hope it carried everything that I wish to pass on. The Make Love to Life podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation. So if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe. And if you want more personal updates, you can follow me on Instagram or sign up for my newsletter on nalayachakana.com. See you next time.